everybody. This is Mike Van Meter, and welcome to the Mike Van Meter Show, and welcome to your one-stop shop for everything having to do with conservatism, Americanism, uh, really just patriotism and the right way of living. That's how I look at it. And uh, folks, it's getting exciting because we're about uh, about a week and a half or so out from the midterm elections. And I am so excited to have our good friend Jim Miles back on the program. Jim's been here a couple of times already, but we wanted to do a a quick check-in on the election, the campaign, how everything is going. And as many of you know, after November 8th, then I'll be swinging into my state election where I'm I'm running for the Virginia State Senate in the 33rd district here in Virginia. And uh, but nobody's paying attention to that because we have this big event coming up. And uh, with that, I wanted to check in with Jim and to see how things are going. Jim, welcome to the show. Hi, hey, thanks, Mike. And you know, I have my support in your uh, state Senate race. So uh, we'll get there uh, after we get by this one. Well, I'll tell you, and I appreciate that very much, and uh, I know I've told you this already, but I'm going to tell the listeners, I got it. If you're here in Virginia, if you're in the Commonwealth, uh, I typically don't vote early. i got to be honest with you, Jim. I I typically don't. Uh, I'm one of those traditionalists. I I vote on uh, election day, but I was driving around yesterday, and they were talking about early voting on the news, and this is not, and just to eliminate any confusion, it's not mail-in voting. This is going to the poll uh, to the actual polling place so it's just like you're voting on election day it's the electronic ballot and you do it you do it in person it was at the fairfax county government center and i i did it because they were talking about it and i happened to be in the area and guess who i voted for jim Uh, i'm hoping you voted for the right guy here well you're Merry Christmas. <laughs> I voted for you. Oh, Absolutely. good. Good choice. You <laughs> hey, from the looks of it. Here in Fairfax. Yes, thank you. Oh, yes. And from the <laughs> looks of it, a lot of other people were voting for you as well. So yeah. uh, I'm getting excited. Are you excited? I am. And, you know, actually, I've been out to the early voting a couple times. My wife and I went and voted early. And just the, the energy people coming up, talking to me when I was there, they were very excited uh, to meet the candidate. And, and it was fine, you know, funny on the other side of the. Uh, the concourse there was a Democrat town and they, you know, there was really not much action there at all. And, and one of them kind of coming over on our side, you know, to catch people as they were coming in to vote. It was really kind of comical, but uh, no, we've been very excited. There's uh, so much energy. It's building the momentum's building. We can see nationally uh, that people are just so upset with the Democrats. They've gone so far left. It's getting really dangerous uh, for our families here. And I mean, Tulsi Gabbard, I mean, she left the democratic party or the Democrat party. It's like, who can blame her? And I'm really hoping more uh, common sense Democrats will will abandon the party at least till they straighten out uh, their policies, so that we have a, a quality of life here in Fairfax that we used to just all take for granted, and it's been gone for uh, going on a couple of years now. Well, speaking of Tulsi Gabbard, I used to watch her speak on the news, and I never really understood why she was a Democrat in the first place. So I'm glad to see her join the party because uh, she seems like a very strong candidate. She seems like somebody that has a good head on her shoulders. And I, I just listening to her, I don't know if it was just because it was Hawaii and she thought that that's how she could get it. I don't know, but she <laughs> she never seemed like she was a Democrat to me. Just never did. I agree. Yeah, I always enjoyed listening to her. And, and yeah, she was a national uh, figure, but yeah, she couldn't really do well in the Democrat Party. I just, I believe because she was just a little bit more reasonable and, and center and it's just gone so far left. It's just really getting scary and it's getting dangerous for, for the communities here with, with the crime. We can all see what's happening with, 
with the, the defunding the police and, and woke prosecutors, Soros prosecutors, and, and we're seeing that here in Fairfax. And, and I'm telling you, people are really starting to be scared here, and that's just wrong. We need to change. Yeah, and so speaking of that, you know, I, I've talked about this before on previous podcasts, and I'll say it again, that people forget that the number one purpose of government, number one purpose of government is to protect the people. And when we've stopped doing that, then you know, we're missing our very, very, very first priority. So crime rate is through the roof across the country. And if you can, what are the voters saying to you? And then, you know, likewise, what is your response to them about what we are doing with this crime problem? Which, to great extent, at least our reaction to crime, it's a self-imposed wound. I mean, it really is. So what do you tell people? Yeah, well, first, uh, you know, I ask them, what are the issues that concern you, and, and crime is definitely up there. I know I've seen national polls. It's like uh, going up on two-thirds of, of the country feels less safe uh, than they did under Trump, and I, I feel the same way here. And in the local newspapers, uh, I mean, people read the papers, they listen to the news, and they see that we're starting to have a lot more home invasions. And I know that uh, we just had one out at the Speaker's house uh, out there in San Francisco, and it's certainly a horrible thing, anything like that. Yeah, it happened today. Horrible. Yeah, that's oh, right. Yeah, it's, and it's just like a symptom of you got to have police to patrol to deter people from committing crime. And this defund the police movement has just been devastating in terms of numbers and recruitment. And it's really making everything less safe. And we're really in Fairfax. We're down 200 officers and our police are working long shifts over time. And it's taking a toll, I think, on their family life and their morale. And we need to change that. And if that's not bad enough, then when they finally do catch a criminal, then we've got this woke prosecutor that cuts them loose. We had someone that committed a violent home invasion, and I think the bond was $100 and out, and, and other people that have been released have, have gone on to kill people, and it's just got to stop. And the reason is just this, I guess, this belief that if you turn everybody loose, uh, it makes things uh, more equitable. Uh, it certainly doesn't make things safer, and we really need to change direction and start to lock up these violent criminals because it really is just making Fairfax so much more dangerous. Yeah, it is. And it, it goes back to my point that the number one role of government is to, the protection of the people. And and we are failing on that at all levels. Uh, just out of curiosity, and because I don't remember this, and so maybe you can set the record straight with me. Your opponent, yeah. I don't believe, has debated you, has he? No, actually, in, in, there was a little bit of a, in an article in the Times. So what happened is... We had a, a conference together. It was the Minority Business Chamber of Commerce over in Tyson's. And he got done speaking, and I challenged him. I asked him if he was going to debate me, and he made a comment. He's already debated 250 times, and, and so he wasn't interested in that. And then uh, about a, a week later, we were at Oakton scheduled together to meet all the uh, public school seniors. Very exciting. And he wasn't there again, and he, he sent a proxy there that said he was in Europe at a NATO conference. And I went to the uh, Centerville Parade the next morning, and there was was uh, was Connolly in, in the float in front of me. So he was in the area, and, and it's just very disturbing. And then we had another joint event at George Mason a couple days ago, and again, he wasn't there. I think he was out of the country again, but he was at the, the Vienna Halloween Parade, uh, a great parade. That was really, I had not been to that before, and, and so many people and so many friendly uh, faces out there. So So he's in the area. But he's uh, certainly unwilling to debate, and I think it's obvious why, because he wants to talk about the peripheral issues that excite their base, 
but he doesn't want to talk about the bread and butter issues that are really affecting all of us here in Fairfax. The inflation rate is back up to uh, still at about 8.2%. We see it when we go grocery shopping. And it's all these failed policies. And then if you want to look at everything else, the border, uh, we've lost energy independence, the, the schools, the list is long. And I'd love to have a chance to talk to him and see how he feels about uh, these transgender programs in our public schools and whether uh, teachers and administrators should be able to go behind parents' backs uh, to become involved in these identity issues. I'm curious what he would think. Well, yeah, I... It really says a lot about him that he won't debate those issues. And, you know, and this is what, you know, for the for the Democrats that are out there, you listen, this this is America. You're allowed to have a differing opinion from from all of us on what you want. But if you truly believe that your ideas are better for America and, and better for our community, then I would think that you'd be willing to discuss those issues openly and debate them and challenge them. I mean, after all, these are ideas. These are just ideas that we all have. And if you really think that this is the best way for living, and if, if you think that the nation is better off now than it was two years ago, then have that discussion. But it really All is right. shameful that he won't come forward and debate you on these issues, because these are very, very big problems. And I'll tell you something, um, speaking of the borders in crime, um, Jim, I, I know you're aware, but the listeners may not be aware, but I uh, I finally finished uh, uh, my degree in addictions and co-occurring disorders, and I've begun working in a hospital, and I work in the detox center of the hospital. So I have a front row seat, a front row seat to what's going on in our community as it relates to drug drug addiction and uh, the damage and destruction that it's doing to our communities. And Jim, I will tell you, and, I, and I've been working in this field for uh, a, a while now, I have never seen the number of fentanyl cases, specifically fentanyl cases that are coming through our unit. <clears throat> and if you could see, I, I, was, I was discussing this with my wife the other day, if you could see what I see every day coming into the hospital, it would make you angry to know that we are not even lifting a finger, not even making an attempt at preventing fentanyl from coming over our borders. Folks, this is a bad drug. It is a destructive drug. And I have, in all my, my years of working around the addiction field, I've never seen anything this devastating. So what, what are your thoughts on that? And what, what do you see? Oh, and by the way, but before I turn it back over to you to, to speak, sure. I've, I've had people uh, attack me on social media right now about um, referencing the border, knowing that I live in Virginia. And, and these are uh, you know people on the opposite side of the aisle of you and I, Jim, that say, mm -hmm. what do you care about the, you know, the, the borders? Why are you talking about the borders? You're in Virginia. You're not a border state. And what I say to those people and everyone that's listening right now it doesn't matter that Virginia is not a border state. We absolutely are being impacted by not regulating our, our borders. I, I see it every day. We are being hit real hard. So maybe some of your thoughts on that, Jim. Yeah, at first I agree that uh, with that wholeheartedly. I mean, we saw the what the Martha's Vineyard, uh, when it comes home, it's a little bit different. They they certainly weren't very welcoming there, if, if I remember remember that story correctly. But yeah, just the cost, uh, financial costs, uh, nearly $10,000, I think, in taxpayer costs now for each illegal alien. And, and they're relocated to our cities, often in the dead of night. And there's certainly, we're getting who knows how many here because they're so dishonest and they hide the information. Uh, so we can only guess, and, and hopefully when the Republicans take control of the Senate and the House here, we'll be able to do some investigations and have some hearings and find out exactly 
what's happened and where the illegal aliens have been placed and where we are with this and the cost. But there's also the human cost that I think is what we're talking about, especially when it comes to fentanyl is, you know, hundreds of people dying on the truck and then the human trafficking, the drug cartels, uh, the terrorists are coming in now. And now I've heard that uh, they're emptying their prisons at the border like they did back in the, the Freedom Flotilla back. What was that in Cuba back in the, the 80s, I want to say. And it's just it lacks common sense. And we really need to put a stop to it. And we need to secure the border. And we need to make sure that people coming into our border are here to become citizens and come in legally. And circling back to fentanyl, yeah, from what I read, uh, the opioids and, and fentanyl is, I think, the leading cause of death of young people again. And I've looked at the statistics here in Fairfax, and the trend is disturbing, and it's going up. And, and I must add, uh, they tried to pass uh, some legislation to put fentanyl as a, as a, a class one uh, drug there, so maybe it could be a little bit more uh, regulated, and my opponent voted against that. And, and I don't think that that was really good. We need to try to to get that on the uh, the list of drugs that really can't be prescribed. He he voted against that. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. They wanted to uh, uh, make that uh, a class one drug. And in uh, actually, I'm just trying to recall for sure the details of it. But uh, but yeah, it was something so that you can't really prescribe it, and it's, it's kind of a big step. But yeah, he opposed it. He wanted to. Wow. I guess keep it. Uh, yeah. Keep hey, it folks. Free. I, well, I, I for those for those of you who are listening to us right now, I can tell you right now that that is shocking to me. That is absolutely shocking to me that your opponent will not do that because anyone anyone that sees what i see in one day would be horrified to, to hear that absolutely horrified yeah yeah i just wanted to say it was uh what they were trying to do was permanently place fentanyl on a schedule one of the controlled substances of the act and because they treat it a lot differently and he voted against that and and i think that we need to put that drug on that schedule because it allows better control for sure that is one of the more no bigger no-brainer <laughs> issues i've seen in my life i'll tell you what if i ever get a chance i would like to ask jerry Connolly what his reasoning is behind not doing that and it makes me really wonder uh and well you know this whole fentanyl issue that can be another discussion that can be another issue down the road that we can can do and it'd be a whole episode in and of itself uh particularly you know after you're elected i would really like to go into great detail on this drug folks if you're not familiar with fentanyl if you're one of the few people on this planet that have not gotten the email about what a bad bad drug this is let me tell you something i have never seen anything as devastating as fentanyl it is dangerous in addiction right now particularly fentanyl deaths are the number one leading it's the number one cause of death for people between the ages of 18 and i believe 39 May even be higher than that, 18 and 39. Yeah. Uh, it, it is unbelievable. And the fact that anyone would uh, treat that as callously as Jerry Connolly did is is appalling. The, the man needs to go. He needs to be yeah. out of office. And Jim, you know, the Lord willing, a week and a half from now, we're, we're going to hear just that, that you, you're replacing him. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're out on the campaign trail, now, there is a lot of excitement. I could see that my, myself when I went and I voted. What are some of the other issues that um, are popping up? Are there any issues that popped up that you think, hmm, that's not really something I've put a lot of thought into, but this voter has, has really raised a good point. That's something I should take a look at. Uh-huh. Well, there's actually, you know, the bigger issues. I think I've heard a little bit about the election integrity, but I think we're making a lot of 
of gains in there now that the Republicans have taken uh, control here in the Commonwealth and in getting rid of the mail-in balloting. And, and I appreciated your point at the beginning that you still have to, to show up and uh, to vote here in person, which I think is a good thing. But schools just, I think, continue to be, you know, one of the hot button items here. And in, uh, I don't know if you saw, I mean, there's, to me, there's two parts to this. I think I told you before we tried to pull my son out of school uh, last year, but we really couldn't afford it. So you're talking to someone that's certainly for, for school choice. But I think there's the physical health of our children in our schools. And I, and I think what we're seeing is this radical left pressure on gender identity in our schools. And I've read reports, I know the Washington Times noted a, a couple months back that suicide rates are up 14% when they're using these hormones and puberty blockers. Without parental consent, it's really messing up the children and the, the suicide rates are going up and it's dangerous. And they can't even get a tattoo and we're allowing them to use these, I think they're very dangerous drugs without parental consent and that needs to stop. But I think the second part is this uh, movement to sexually, I think, mutilate our young children, uh, males and females with different surgical procedures. I think it's utterly disgusting what they're doing to our kids. And I know my opponent in the past, he, he called the female uh, genital mutilation is a human rights violation. The people that are doing this, they should be put in prison, not in charge of our kids in our schools, because uh, it's just wrong. Now, if somebody turns 18, you know, they're out of school and they're adults, you know, if they want to explore some different options for their lifestyle, that's totally up to them. But there's just a very, very small percentage of children that are really uh, suffering with this gender dysphoria. And we need to deal that with them, you know, with mental health professionals and parents that love the children. And we may have good uh, meaning or well-intentioned school administrators, but they don't really know anything about the family. And I know a lot of teachers don't really want to get uh, in the middle of this kind of a situation. And I think a lot of the teachers are definitely uh, not as interested in staying in the Fairfax County public schools if they keep going on this, I think, radical left course. We need to change direction. No, and you raise a, a good point, and some of this is common sense. I mean, gender dysphoria actually is <clears throat> listed in the DSM-5 as something that's diagnosable, and there's something going on with that individual, and this is something that needs to be dealt with, and it may be that this person goes through with uh, uh, you know, changing their, their gender identity. That may be, but you raise a good point. When they're, <clears throat> when they're an adult, they, they're free to do whatever they want to do. And I think you and I both uh, support that. Sure. And you just yeah. said that you did. Uh, being a child, a completely different thing. As you said, uh, children aren't allowed to do many things in school without parental consent. And the fact that uh, some of this is being done in schools without parental consent is just, it, it makes you scratch your head and just think, like, where did this start? And why did this start? And why are we doing this? You know, <clears throat> kind of a good way to look at this whole issue, I think sort of the litmus test is you take it out of the school and you put it into any other context and ask yourself as a parent, how would you react? If you were uh, went to the mall or if you went to the park and an adult came up to your your child and started having this question, this, this discussion about changing their gender identity, and the per, the person on the street uh, had medicate. Hey, look, I've got medicines that can that can change your hormones, and it, just the whole discussion. Imagine you walking up to your kid in the mall, in the Tyson's Mall, and you found an adult even having this discussion with your child. How would you react to that? Oh, you'd have, you'd have them arrested. Like I say, that's right. 
uh, that's child abuse. And you know, I'm a right. big believer. Yeah, we need gender uh, affir- uh, gender affirmation, but it needs to be of their biological sex. Right, and you it's know, a parent. Bet- it's yeah. a decision between the parents and uh, and that child. You know, yeah. but but what happens is we take it from the playground or the park or the the mall, and we put it into the school, and we say, well, well that's perfectly okay. And, yeah, and now the school system might say, well, these are professionals. Well, no, they're not. They are not mental health professionals. They're not doctors. They, they may be teach. Well, you know what? If you are a teaching professional, then get back to teaching and let's do that. But when it comes to those discussions with my child, why don't you leave that up to me and my child? Oh, I'm so I don't even you. know why this is a, a, an issue. I don't. You know what, Jim? I, I actually went back and I tried to look up like where this started and why did all this start and you know that I, I actually cannot pinpoint like how this actually began why this became an issue or even when it became an issue why do you think mm-hmm. that happened well, i think you know i, I was at a, an event and elizabeth schultz was there um very uh, she was i believe a school board member here and very influential in the education world and works for the government she's she, Cited some statistics, it goes back to like 2015, 16, 17, it was starting to emerge there, which really surprised me. I didn't realize it was that uh, remote. I thought it was recent, but I think the big thing is just the attack on the family, the attack on parents' rights is what this is all about. They're trying to break up the nuclear family that's the bedrock, I think, for a healthy society in the, in the United States of America. And if they can break down that family and turn the parents and the children away from each other, uh, then that's something that they're all trying to do. And why they want to do that, I really have no idea. It's not good for anybody. But I think it all goes back to trying to break up the family. Yeah. And they keep working on it, and we really need to change uh, change that. We can't let them get away with it. We need to have separate bathrooms for separate sexes in our schools. And that's just a, a hallmark of normalcy in a healthy society. And they are just trying, for whatever their motives, uh, to just destroy parents' rights and parents' oversight and care in the upbringing of children and they just they need to be stopped yes yes they do yes they do um by the way i heard the governor mention your name this morning on uh, the larry o'connor show and uh so that was nice he, he he really talked about the excitement that he's having uh with uh yesley vega yourself karina lipsman uh hung cow i mean this is actually a really good set of candidates in in my opinion that we're putting forward and have you had, uh, I, I know you've had some events with the governor, but tell me about some of the discussions that you've had with him. Yeah, he's just, a, I think, a, a great leader. And I, I have the utmost respect for him, and I appreciate uh, him recognizing me today. And I, and I learn from him, and I, I watch him, because it's not all about politics with him. It's just about common sense solutions and working together in conservative principles, which I think are very successful and I really appreciated his lead on education because, like I said, I've got children in, in school. And I just think the far left has just gone so off the rails here with what they're doing to our young children. There's going to be irreparable damage done to so many kids because of this just radical uh, sexual agenda and this pressure for gender identity. Anyway, we're going to, you're getting me going on that again. I just don't understand it. But <laughs> Governor Yunkin, yeah. But no, in our discussions, yeah. he's been, been given me wise counsel. And, and certainly supported me, and we're going to, I think, do, he's going to have some get-out-to-vote events that I'll be invited to, so I'm looking yeah. forward to him, and, and I just really appreciate, as a parent, what he's done for, for me here in Virginia, and politically, uh, with my uh, attempt here to win this uh, this seat in the House, I really appreciate this. Show me. 
Our, well, as you and I know, running for office is one thing. Being in office is another thing. And now we're close. We're getting very, very close to the decision here, uh, not just in Virginia, but all across the nation. So let's let you're going to get into office. So, all right. You're you're elected. You're there. Kind of walk us through mm-hmm. about what your your plan. So what are we going to do when we get into office? What are some of the things that we're going to look at? I know you you just mentioned a little while ago some investigations. So I'm assuming there's going to be mm-hmm. a big push for some of those. What, what kinds of things are they? Or what are the? What's on your list of things that need to be looked at? Okay. Well, I guess first I did work up on the Hill. I was a fellow up there for a year on the Social Security subcommittee. So I have a, you know, a basic understanding. So I think once I get up there, I think the important thing, of course, will be to assemble your staff, which is, I think, always one of the most important things in in any job that you have that's kind of a team-oriented approach. But then I'm going to seek a a committee assignments that I think will help our constituents here. And I think veterans are very important. I'm a veteran. I'm a former A-10, a fighter pilot. And uh, I just uh, greatly appreciate the work that our military does. And we have to protect our veterans and veterans' benefits and veterans' rights. So I'd be very interested in that. As a judge, I'd like to be the Judiciary Committee. We've got uh, uh, so much that can be done there uh, in terms of immigration and many other areas. So uh, to get on the Judiciary Committee, I think, would be very, uh, very helpful to our constituency here. And I guess Social Security, the subcommittee, I'd like to use my expertise. I've heard nearly 10,000 cases of Social Security, Medicare, and as part of Ways and Means, which is the tax writing uh, committee, and I think that that would be very, very uh, important because uh, we're very fortunate here in Fairfax. Uh, we're rather uh, an affluent community here, but you know, I just have to add on, which I think is really a little bit frightening uh, to me and so many others. As my opponent uh, uh, voted for this, eighty-seven thousand new IRS agents, and and they're going to be here. And, and the Republicans, we tried to stop them. Uh, to to stop them from spying on us or going after even auditing people making under seventy five thousand dollars and and uh, kindly opposed all that. Uh, I really believe uh, my opponent wants a police state here. He's trying to uh, encourage and be part of the the weaponization of the DOJ, the FBI, and maybe now the IRS uh, going after parents and just hardworking Americans. You know, and me, I stand for freedom, and I really think we need to hold public servants personally liable if they use their positions to go after their political opponents. I just think we've gone way too far in allowing our organs of government that are supposed to serve all the people to be going after political opponents, and that really needs to change. Well, and I hear that a lot. Speaking of the weaponization of the federal agencies, I I hear that. I know in, in the rounds that I make with people, that is a big, big issue. Yeah, what are you going to do? What are you going to do about that? Because I, I think the American people are just fed up. They're saying, you know what? We see all the wrongdoing that's going on in the federal government, but goodness mm-hmm. gracious, nothing ever happens. Even when it's obvious that there's been wrongdoings in in many cases, criminal activity, but nothing is done. What are you going to do when you get in office? Are are you going to push to have? You know, not just investigations. And I think that people are getting tired of just the endless investigations. When is something going to be done? For example, for example, you take the leak on the Supreme Court leak, you know, part of Roe v. Wade. Mm -hmm. We still don't have an answer to that. How can that be? How can that be? Yeah. Well, hopefully I've been reading that they, it sounds like they, they, have it and they're maybe they're waiting for the right time to deal with it i don't know your guess is as good as mine but it seems like i've seen indications that they're kind of winding down on that and that they uh, maybe know what happened but we'll 
we'll see. I, I have no special inside knowledge for sure, but we'll, mm-hmm. we'll see that out. But I do on your, your bigger point, you know, this uh, one of the Biden officials, I forget which one, just got, you know, convicted, uh, he violated the Hatch Act. And, and you know, they just kind of gave him a, you know, a, a written or a verbal warning and nothing, nothing really comes of that. And the, certainly I think the Democrats, uh, you know, they do a lot of, I think, very questionable Hatch Act activity. And when the Justice Department as Democrats, uh, nothing really happens. So what's my solution? What I think we really need to do is we need to consider uh, removing this qualified immunity uh, that so many of our uh, government employees uh, enjoy. And I'm not talking our government employees. There's so many hard workers. I retired as a federal Mm -hmm. employee after 30 years, and I have a great and deep respect for the jobs that most people do. But these people that use their positions in government to go after political opponents or do other things that are just really uh, untenable, untenable. I was going to say untenable was the word I was searching for. We need to have a personal liability claim against them. So, you know, I'd call it the lowest learner act, where if if you use your position to go after a political opponent, that political opponent can sue you personally. And you're going to put your your pension, your home, uh, your car, your future at risk. If you want to use your public position that you're trusted with to go after political opponents, and I think that would really put a chill on what's going on with all this use of, of the weaponization of our, our government, and that needs to change. And if we make them pay uh, for what they do, I think that'll change uh, direction real quick here. Yeah, and, and and just so people know that you are protected as a federal employee. If, for example, I'm a retired FBI agent, and you are protected when you are performing your you're, – you're doing things that are in um, – that are expected of your position, Okay. Exactly. And so when people come at me in my role as an FBI agent and I'm investigating you, you can't successfully sue me for me doing my job, which is to investigate you. But what we are seeing um, is, is people completely, clearly operating outside of the scope of their position and targeting people uh, for their political views. That is not the role of an FBI agent or an IRS agent or any other agent or any other government official. You know, this is something else that, you know, Jim, and I'll I'll get your thoughts on this, but people are really, really, really angry that there, this is not an open forum anymore, open debate anymore, that you you can say things when you're on one, if you have a certain set of political views, you can talk all day long. If you have another set of views, you're completely shut down. And, and, you know, and by the way, I'll, I'll just say this, and I'm not trying to get conspiratorial on it. I'm just saying that I just had something happen to me recently that I've never seen happen before. And that is that Facebook lost, uh, locked my, fa- my account. My Facebook account has been locked. And I get a note from them saying that it was done for my, 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 the safety of my account. Now, I've never, I've been on Facebook forever. I've never had that happen before, ever. Now, uh, I'm trying to get the account locked back. Uh, open back up, but it won't open up no matter what I do. Now we're about a week and a half out from the general the, the midterm election. I wonder if that has anything to do with it, and the fact that I post very conservative uh, viewpoints and I promote conservative candidates. I mean, <laughs> is it coincidence? I don't know. I'm just saying. But it reminds me of what the concerns of all the voters are out there, and that is, hey, if I have a particular political viewpoint. I'm not allowed to share that in in an open forum, and I know a lot of people are concerned about that. And so, um, in Congress, is that something that you're going to be looking at and addressing? And um, you know, looking at all of these these tech companies that are suppressing 
uh, we believe are suppressing the uh, free speech of the American people. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Just uh, an anecdotal story. When I won the Republican primary, my wife sent out uh, something on Facebook, and, and I, I don't even remember what it was, and she doesn't. They suspended her for 30 days because she made, I guess, some kind of a political statement that they thought was too strong, and, and I don't think she ever ever went back after that. It was really, uh, but yeah, it, that, all of that stuff is just uh, it's just really getting beyond the pale, especially for conservatives. Uh, I do applaud, uh, is it Mr. Musk with, with firing all the people? Elon Musk, yep. That had done that. Yeah, so my hat's off to him. Thank you as an American that loves freedom and free speech. Uh, I just can't say enough about him. Thank you for that. But I think it all circles back to this this Section 230, uh, the Communications Act. It dates back, you know, quite a while. And when these companies all started up, they wanted to make sure uh, that they didn't get sued, so they had a lot of discretion uh, on what they could and could not post and take up and down. But this was many years ago, and now it's reached the point where they're just using uh, that discretion that they're allowed to just rule out conservative thought. And I know they're working on revisions to this section, and I think they need to do that uh, to eliminate uh, this vast and wide discretion to allow them to censor political thought that they disagree with. But I think the other sticking point is allowing a, a cause of action. And, and again, a, I'm an attorney, a former judge, but I understand and appreciate a lot of people don't want to create a lot more litigation. And that could be one of the issues here is you should be able to go after uh, not Twitter anymore, I guess, but maybe Facebook or, or any of these other media platforms if they hold themselves out to be a national platform and then they discriminate against somebody because of the content of their ideas that you can sue them personally and uh, maybe put them out of business, maybe not, but at least there would be a big, big uh, deterrent factor out there, some kind of lawsuit where they'd be fair. And that's what we all want. We want free and fair debate so we can make fair decisions. It's really, uh, I just think common sense and why, why we don't have that, it, it really just shows how far left uh, we've gone in this country and we need to, to come back to the center. Yeah, we, def we definitely do. Are you getting a lot of uh, input regarding the overturning of Roe v. Wade? You know, not not a whole lot. I, I think as a as a federal judge, and again, I was an administrative law judge, but but really, the, the decision it didn't it overturned Roe v. Wade in that sense, but it didn't really change the abortion uh, question. And it, to me, it's a question of values. You know, some people see. Uh, the fertilized egg, you know, the embryo as a, a human being deserving of complete protection and other people, their values are that the day before birth, it has no value at all and you can, you know, destroy it. And how you reconcile those differences in values is a real challenge. But this decision went back to the states, which I think was correct. And obviously the Supreme Court did. And if you read the decision, I think it was very well reasoned and well mm -hmm. explained. And I encourage people to read it. But now it comes back to the states, and, and I believe what troubles me is when you talk about abortion, sometimes when people will be cheering, you know, about being pro-choice, and it's like abortion is a, you know, a great thing. It's not a great thing at all. You know, any abortion kills a baby, and any abortion can have a long-term physical and mental impact on the mother. So, yeah. no, we don't want to have abortions. Now, there's certainly certain circumstances maybe where the, as a community we come together and say, well, maybe an abortion in this situation would be something that would be medically appropriate. And that can be between a woman and her doctor and within the confines of what we as a society decide. And I just think I would favor life. I want to pass legislation that helps women that are pregnant and gives them support in, 
and not something that's going to push them into abortions because I think uh, abortion is just a, it's a lose-lose for the baby and the mother. And if we can avoid abortions, I think our society is, and everybody is much better off. So that's what I'd work for. Yeah, and I'll tell you something else. And if I get into the state Senate, this is something that I will be dealing with. And I will tell you that uh, a question I would have for the other side of the aisle is this. How do you rectify the fact that right now, the way that we have the statutes written, if someone, um, if, if I hit you in, in a car and I kill the mother and the and the child uh, in a vehicle. I'm charged with two counts of manslaughter. If, let's say I'm DUI. Let's say I'm, I'm driving under the influence and I hit you and and kill the mom and a pregnant mother. I'm I'm charged with two counts, two counts yeah. of manslaughter, not one count. Mm-hmm. And that just shows you that the Commonwealth has historically looked at uh, the the unborn child as being that is 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 a human being. And I, I don't really, I think that legally, and you being a judge and, and being a lawyer, uh, I think that you can see that there there's a conflict there. And it seems to me that here in the Commonwealth, before we would legalize an abortion in the state, we would first have to rectify that issue. Because the state on one hand, the legislature in the Commonwealth on one hand, has already recognized the unborn as being a child. Mm-hmm. But now yes. people don't. Right? I mean, am I correct on that legal assessment? No, I, I agree. And this is, I think it's one of the most difficult issues, if not the most difficult issue on the campaign trail, because people have such strong feelings and emotions yes. on this. And I, I respect that. But again, going back to the debate, I'd love to, to ask my, my opponent there why he thinks that it's okay, you know, to end the life of a baby, you know, a day before it's born. What, you know, that is such a, an outlying opinion anywhere in the world. And yet my opponent thinks that's okay. I'd like to ask him why. Why he thinks that okay, uh, but I, I don't think that's ever going to happen. So, uh, but 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 we'll see. But yeah, yeah but if he does, if he says that this is there. not a child, then then it goes back to what I just pointed out. You you, you would say yeah, to your exactly. opponent, okay, you're telling me that you don't believe this is a child. So what you're telling me then is that anyone in the Commonwealth of Virginia that has been uh, indicted and then prosecuted for manslaughter for killing. Uh, an unborn child out on the highway, you're telling me that, that that we should overturn those convictions. Is that what you're telling me? Because yeah, that's the way it is. Yeah, it's tough. And like I said, I really think it's for, for us as a society, you know, men, women to work together and come to some kind of a consensus uh, between us that, uh, again, minimizes abortions. You know, it's a, a medical procedure and it has ramifications and just try to avoid it where we can and minimize it. And I think our society would be better off, but but we have to work together and just do the best we can to come to some kind of of a consensus that we can all live with. Right. Okay. Well, Jim. Also, finally, let me ask you. So we're pretty close. We're very close to this. Uh, I know you're excited about this, but what what are you are, what are you hearing as far as like the the polling and the what's the outlook? What's it really coming down to at this point? How does it look to, because again, those listening, our listeners that are outside of Virginia, let let me just point out to you that Northern Virginia, which is where we are and where Jim is running, is deep blue territory. But what's it looking like right now? We're very encouraged. Uh, I mean, no one's been paying for any polling, uh, not my opponent, not me. uh, You know, it's just me against him kind of race. So we'll see on election day. I don't think uh, people are going to spend money to do, you know, a worthwhile poll. I've had friends that did, you know, like a, not a Snapchat, but something online, and it was 
you know, 51-49, and then it's it went out a little bit higher, but, you know, well within single digits. But that was, you know, who knows who's going to vote. But I, I think more important, I talked to, I was at a, an event at, at a, a synagogue where it was, and again, uh, actually, Karina was, was there with me, and, and of course, uh, a representative buyer and Conley, neither one of them were there. They both had surrogates there. But but the, the moderator there is somebody involved and, and asked, uh, you know, well, what are you hearing? What are you seeing? And it's like, well, boy, nobody really knows because the mood in the country is just really moving very, very firmly and quickly uh, to the Republicans here because they just see what's going on. And the Democrats keep doubling down on policies that are harmful uh, to America and to the, the, the safety and the financial security of families in America. And we're seeing that here in Fairfax County, and Connolly is on the wrong side of everything. And that's why he won't debate. So I'm hoping on November 8th uh, or earlier, we do have early voting, as you suggested, you get out and vote for me and give me a chance. I'm a, Like I said, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to work for you, and, and I'll do a good job for you. And I'll always treat you with courtesy and respect because uh, you're the taxpayer, and I'm the public servant, and I've been doing that uh, my whole adult life. So please give me a chance. And again, my website is milesforcongress.com. That's miles with the Y for congress.com. But I really think that we're going to do it this year. People are so excited and we're just going through signs. We keep having to order more and more. And we think we can't possibly need more, but we do. And yeah, I took one of your signs upset. yesterday. <laughs> yeah, well, good. Thank you. But we, I, I tell you, we just got, uh, yeah, we ordered several thousand uh, like two or three weeks ago thinking, well, oh, we're going to have a bunch left over and those are gone. We just got another uh, shipment in today, actually, that will be over at the the, uh, the Fairfax County uh, headquarters. Actually, when I'm done here, I'm probably going to go over there uh, to stock up uh, for my car because you know when I go around, so many people want to sign. It's yeah. just great. It makes me feel really good because uh, God, we all want to live in Fairfax County like it used to be with the low inflation, the low crime, uh, good schools, low interest rates, and now the you know the whole mortgage is up over seven percent, and it's all Biden, Pelosi, and Conley, and everybody knows it. Yeah. So hopefully they'll get out and vote for me and we can we can restore the quality of life here that we all want and deserve. Well, speaking of which, uh, if you do happen to go out to the Fairfax County Government Center and vote, and I do suggest that you do that because it is in person. I know a lot of uh, conservatives are really distrustful of the election system. Rightly so. I get that. But this, let me clarify, this is in person at the ballot box. It's just like you would have on, on election day. It's that type of voting. You go in, you show your driver's license. I, I have to say that the people at the poll, you know, at the government center when I went, they were very professional. It, it looked like a pretty tightly run ship there, so it looked safe to me. If you see irregularities, you know, certainly point that out. But it was, uh, it was run very well the day that I was there. Um, Jim just mentioned. Can I add one thing? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, just that uh, uh, we're actually opened up now. There's other uh, polling places that are open now up till November eighth. So. You know, please check the website. Uh, I don't want to give information because I'm not 100% sure which one is which. Mm -hmm. But also poll watchers, and in, in, uh, please consider volunteering for that. We've done the training. We, we've done so much better this year. And, and my hat's off to the Republican uh, army out there that's stepping up to help keep an eye on everything. Yeah. Because we all want free and fair elections. That's yep. what America is all about. Yep. And, you know, and they were good. Uh, there, there was a gentleman in front of me when I was voting, uh, 
actually asked, you know, he kept he kept asking about irregularities. Has anybody seen irregularities? And then he went to the uh, the person that was taking the the drive the identification driver's licenses for uh, voting, and and he asked, you know, where where are the poll watchers? And the the lady was very considerate, and she pointed out where the watchers are. So they were there. Uh, so, but check it out. It, it it looks safe to me. So don't be afraid of getting out there early. Uh, one of the pluses to getting out early is you know life happens, folks. Life happens. We all get busy. We're all very, very busy people. Things happen. You know, accidents happen. The weather happens. And what you don't want is on election day, something in your life pop up that just prevents you from getting to the polls. So if you have free time, if you can do it, I would get out there early. That way you know you've done it. And then as life happens, you don't have to worry about getting out and voting. Get your family, get your friends, get everybody out there to do it. I know my wife, I have been reminding her to vote, and I think that she'll kill me if I remind her one more time. <laughs> <laughs> but but maybe I'll just that take her off. That would be bad, for, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right? I should stop that. But, you know, sure. I think what I'm going to do is just say, hey, let's go get some ice cream. And oh, but you know what? The polling place is right there. So why don't we, uh, why don't we go do it? But Oh, but, but speaking of the sign, um, you will see Jim's signs all over uh, outside the government center. And what I was told, Jim, and I, I'll get you okay with this, I was told to take one. And so you uh-huh. can take one of those signs, and they're not doing us any good there at the polling place. They need to be out where people can see them. So take one of those signs and get Jim's name out there. Because, folks, it's all about who shows up to vote. That's what it comes at. So few, I mean, it's, it's, it's really kind of sad how few people in our society vote in these elections, but what that shows is it's who gets out the most votes and we need to get the most votes out for Jim. Well, and it's so true this year because it's just me and Connolly. It's like sometimes people go in and vote for president and then you've got all these other uh, selections. And so you vote, uh, maybe not knowing, but if you go out to vote, it's me or him. So you want to go out to vote. And uh, it's got to be for him or me, so that's why you're going. So please get out and vote for me because turnout is going to be key here. And the more people that turn out for me, obviously, than turn out for him will make the decision in, in the election here. So please help us out. We all want to live a better life here again. Yeah, I was a little surprised at that. Uh, the When they handed me the ballot, they just said, you're just voting for this one thing. And it was between you and Jerry. And I said, well, what else am I voting for? And they said, that's it. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever seen a ballot like that. There's usually at least a few issues on there, but uh, it's a big one, guys. This is important. You got to get out, got to get out and do it and do it early. So, Jim, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate your time. You know what? I mentioned that to the uh, Fairfax uh, GOP people that were running the tent there. Uh, I really said, you know, I, one thing I like about Jim is he's very, very gracious with his time. You really do take the time to talk to not only me, but all of the voters and sometimes even people that aren't so friendly. But yet you, you're always the consummate gentleman and very, very nice to people, even when they're not being nice to you. And that's the mark of a true gentleman. Uh, so I really appreciate that and appreciate you coming on the show. Well, thank you so much for, for the compliment. I, like I said, I'm a, a public servant and I will always try to, to be treat people like they're my, my boss because I work for them. So I'll keep trying. Yeah, well, good luck, my friend. And we will be seeing you soon. And you folks, bet. thanks again for coming on to the show. This is the Mike Van Meter Show. And this is where you need to be to learn about everything that you need to know about conservatism, patriotism, Americanism, the right way of living right here in Northern Virginia. Jim Miles, good luck to you. 
Look forward to seeing Thanks, you in Mike. Congress. Bye-bye. You bet. Looking forward to it.